Proverbs chapter 5, starting verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gore, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life, her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her, do not go near the house, go near the door of her house lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Please turn to chapter 7 over the page. We're reading from verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home, today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you, I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. 
Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. This is God's word. Let's pray together as we look at this. Father, thank you for the honesty of your word, for its tenderness, for your love for us. Therefore, you you probe into every area of our lives. And so as we uh, look at this area of wisdom, which uh, can be very sensitive for some, or painful, or disappointing, uh, we pray that your spirit will be at work teaching us, giving us what we need from your word to love you and to live our lives for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you joined us today and wondering why we're looking at this particular section of Proverbs, it's because we're looking at all of Proverbs. Uh, we've uh, made a start to work our way through this book. And uh, we said that these the first nine chapters of the book are really... Uh, a long introduction. They're the motivations to live wisely. When you get to chapter 10, it's the more familiar little proverbs, the one-sentence aphorisms or uh, uh, witticisms. Um, but the first nine chapters then, the, the motivation, here's why you want to live wisely. Uh, you, essentially, it's 12 poems in the first nine chapters. And strikingly, three of those poems are a warning against adultery. Now, that's quite striking. Before the writer gets on to the, the, the detail of wisdom, 25% of his time is, if you're going to live wisely, think very carefully about what you're doing sexually. So we had two of them read. The other one is um, in between them, chapter 6, verse 20 to the end of chapter 6. Three poems out of 12 on the danger of the adulteress. Why do we need so much? Because we need so much. Because it's a very real issue that ruins people's lives. And so the Bible's just being honest by having this amount of material on it. There are two two brief things, uh, two brief mistakes we could make when we look at something like this. The first would be to say, well, I'm not married, so therefore none of this applies to me. Oh, come on, look, this is the father. It's portrayed as a father forewarning his son. You can be forewarned in marriage or forewarned before marriage, but it is a warning. And in one sense, many of the applications will be true for any inappropriate form of sexual relationships. We can't just say that. The other foolish thing would be to say, well, I'm a daughter. I'm a woman, not a man, so none of these things apply. I think we know better than that. Of course, how it's portrayed is of um, a honey-tongued adulteress luring a young man. But it could equally be a sweet-tongued man, a sweet-tongued man in the office or at the playgroup trying to lure a woman into bed. It could equally be that. And some here would know that temptation, have had men try that. So I think this uh, is relevant for all. We're going to say four things. Uh, the first three are really the text, and then the one um, uh, by way of conclusion. So three, th- three things, main things we'll look at. There's the appeal of the adulteress. Secondly, the cost of infidelity. Uh, third, the benefits of faithfulness before we hear the injunction to remember the Lord. Let's take the midterm. First then, what is the appeal of the adulteress? How could us lovely people here sat this morning make such a silly mistake 
as to uh, sleep with someone inappropriate. There are a number of things that are highlighted about her in her appeal. Uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. We're mainly chapter 5. My son, pay attention. But let's look at the first thing. Uh, the, the lips. Smooth lips. Verse 3 of chapter 5. The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Interestingly, the lips are the one thing that's uh, repeated in every one of these poems. So chapter 624, watch the smooth tongue. Or chapter 7, verse 21, Watch her smooth talk. It's interesting, actually. The the thing that they all pick up on is the speech that we may find the most alluring. Watch out for smooth lips. Part of the appeal of the adulteress is, of course, the suggestiveness of how good things can be. Uh, Playful speech, flirtatious speech, sexual dialogue. Actually, it can come quite quickly, can't it? In some offices, it can start off as very uh, playful banter uh, before long. It's just a little bit suggestive. Or again, at the, at the school gates with the yummy mummy, it could be just a little playful, and then, you know, off it goes. These things can happen quite quickly. Bored at a conference, a drink or two, that's quite easy. Away for a week, traveling, work, it's quite easy. Just bored, and a little frost, little, ah, oh, little, ah, oh, that's fun, this is fun, isn't it? Oh, I'm quite enjoying this. Golly, I've st- have I still got it? Could I? Could I? I probably could, couldn't I? Shall I? Why not? And off you go. Just a little speech. Sometimes, of course, it takes longer. Uh, it can start further back. Uh, a true story of, with, with the wrong names. Uh, I can think of a chap, Terry, who was, well, he's frustrated in his marriage. His emotional needs were not met at home. To be honest, his wife nagged him. And his sexual needs were not met at home. Meanwhile, actually, he was quite successful at his job. And meanwhile, in the office, there was Natalie, who respected him, who praised him, who said how good he was at what he did, how considerate he was towards other people. And actually, after a while, he thought to himself, I feel more of a man with her. She gives me the respect that I crave. And so after a while, he starts to, started to speak to her. But, you know, my marriage isn't great. And she had a very willing ear, made a number of suggestions about the sort of woman he really needed. No, deserved, given that he's such a wonderful man. And before long, they were sleeping together. And he had left home and moved in with her. That lasted about three months before he realized, actually, <laughs> the grass isn't always greener. It can take a little while longer, of course. But very suggestive speech, lips dripping with honey, the prospect of come to me and there is a sweetness and a pleasure that you don't know, that you once had but have forgotten. Smooth lips. Another part of her appeal is just physical. There's always that element, physical beauty. It comes up in a number of places, but for example, chapter 624, do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her take you captive with her eyes as she flutters her lashes. Physical beauty. I mean, I guess that's just simply allowing lust to override your brain. And in chapter 6, she's so alluring. Oh, verse 26, I'll throw away my marriage, what, for the price of a meal? How stupid. Verse 26. The prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Just for a small amount, I'll throw my life away, throw my marriage away. 
Of course, in our culture, it's not just physical sex. Increasingly, it would be cyber sex. That would be uh, true. All too easy to have cyber sex now. Uh, I read, so 41.2% of all internet sites visited by users in the UK are pornographic. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, I take it there are some particular individuals who send that statistic completely screwy, but 40, over 40% of internet sites viewed as pornographic. I take it, that must mean that some here are doing that. On average, teenagers spent two hours a week looking at pornography. How depressing. It doesn't have to be physical sex. We think, wow, it's a bit different, isn't it? Um, uh, cyber sex. Well, I, I want to, you could just ask your spouse, do you mind me looking at this material? Is that all right? I, I think the response will probably be, No, I'm offended by that. I'm humiliated by that. I'm pretty upset by that. Uh, Smooth lips, physical beauty is part of her appeal. Chapter 7, I think it's uh, the main thing there is there's an appeal to exotic delight. This uh, long description of uh, the the foolish young person. But uh, particularly when you get to chapter 7 and verse 14 downwards, come home. I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows, so I came to meet you. I looked for you, I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. And that may not sound very exciting. You think I can buy Egyptian cotton at John Lewis. Uh, that's what all their sheets are. But uh, in the culture of the day, that is, that's exotic. If you come to my house, there are things you've not seen. There are experiences you've not known. Sleep with me and I'll show you things you've not known before. I can teach you one or two things, she says. Exotic. Come on, you deserve something a bit new. You owe it to yourself to broaden. You don't want to be stuck where you are forever, she says. Sort of exotic delights. Smooth lips, physical beauty, exotic delights. Or staying here in chapter 7, very strikingly, there are no consequences, says the adulteress. So verse 18 of chapter 7, come let's drink deep of love till morning, let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He'll not be home till full moon. It's fine. We can go and sleep together. We can have this pleasure and no one will know. No harm will be done. As the writer later put it in chapter 30, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats, wipes her mouth, and says, I've done nothing wrong. There's a seared conscience here. Come on, no one will know. What harm will it do? No consequences, she says. So if we return to chapter 5, this is what the, uh, the father is saying to his son. My son, let's read it from the beginning. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insights that you may maintain discretion. Your lips may preserve knowledge. The lips of an adulterous drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But she lies, verse 4. You do know that, don't you? She lies. The fact there are no consequences. It's a lie, verse 4. In the end, she's as bitter as gall. She's sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thoughts to the way of life. Her paths are crooked. 
She doesn't even know it. It's a lie. So we'll get to the, the marriage in one sense in a moment, but if you wouldn't, you know, if you're not yet married, for goodness sake, don't believe the lie that there's nothing wrong with casual sex. There's no harm. If it's mutual and recreational, what harm can it do? It's never equivalent. One always is more involved than the other. And I could introduce you to a number of couples who have been sexually active before marriage, and it's had very bad consequences in marriage. As the sexually active wife becomes frigid in a marriage. She can't quite handle what's gone on before. Or the sexually active husband sleeps with his wife and yet is thinking of other women he's slept with and has, a, has thoughts of comparison in his head and hates himself for doing so but can't stop it. There are always consequences. Don't believe that lie. I mean, it's very simple advice here. The father is, it's unheroic, but very wise. Uh, verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Verse 8. Keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Look, I don't want to teach you to suck eggs, but stay away. Don't go near. If there is someone in the office who is making a very strong play for you, get away. Get into a different team as far as you can. Change jobs if you need to. If you find yourself repeatedly watching things on TV, you shouldn't change your package. As far as I can tell, get Virgin, where it's very hard to watch dubious channels as opposed to Sky. Put a code on your machine. Give it to your spouse so you can't watch the channels you're not meant to. Keep away. It's unremarkable advice. But do it. If there is a group of friends who on a regular basis say, let's go away for the lads' weekend. Let's go out for the lads' night. And you know where it ends up. It's always in that sort of club or that sort of bar. Don't go with them, says the father. Look, it's not rocket science. Just keep away, he says. Watch out for the appeal of the adulteress. But then, uh, secondly... He goes into more detail uh, to the cost. Here's the cost of infidelity, which is really chapter 5 of verses 9 to 14. It's a picture of a man who is ruined. The cost of infidelity, 9 to 14. A man ruined by his affair. So verses 9 and 10. Keep away from it, lest you give your best strength to others, your years to one who's cruel. Strangers feast on your wealth, your toil enrich another man's house. I know, what's the picture here? Uh, a man who's had an adulterous affair, his wealth and strength have gone to another. What's going on? I don't know, the detail's not there, but perhaps his wife and kids, they remain in the lovely family home. He's had to live elsewhere. Perhaps someone else has moved into the family home. He's trying to keep two properties up. Meanwhile, he sits on his own in his travel lodge, eating takeaways and watching rubbish on TV because he's bogged it up and the affair didn't last very long. And verse 11, he puts his head in his hands and says, I was an idiot. I have wasted my life. I had so much, I threw it away because she was so suggestive. I'm an idiot. Verse 12, you'll say how I hated discipline, how I, my heart spurned correction. Verse 12, I, th I thought I knew better. 
I mean, my parents were so conservative. I didn't want to be like them and their traditional marriage. And golly, the bloke at church went on and on, and he was completely over the top about the impact. Right at verse 13, I wouldn't obey my teachers. I wouldn't listen to my instructors. I knew better. So verse 14, I'm at the brink of ruin. Financially, I, I, I had a good life, but now the, the, more, the, uh, the house has been split and I'm trying to keep up two properties and I can't afford to do it. And I'm not living in the sort of house I was once before and none of us, you know, we spend our weekends going back and forth between one another and the, the children are miserable. I'm ruined. I'm in disgrace because uh, socially I'm ruined in the front of the assembly. Verse 14, many of the couple's friends spurn the man. He's had an affair at work, perhaps. So even people at work, you know, he's still there, but they don't trust him anymore. He used to look up to him. He used to be given responsibility. Now it's, well, you know what he's like, don't you? Can we trust the man? He's ruined. His family are appalled, perhaps. They refuse to speak to him. Don't be a fool. The appeal of the adulteress is strong, says the father. But verse 5, her feet go down to death. Don't make the mistake of listening to her. Well, chapter 6, it changes the picture a little bit. It makes it, um, we're talking about the inevitability of the, the consequences. Uh, a number of places, but just give chapter 6, verse 27. It's vivid, isn't it? Can you get away with having an adulterous affair? Will it make any difference? Chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? No. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. You'll get burned. It was a few years ago now that uh, David Blunkett, uh, Home Secretary as he was, his career was ruined by his affair with Kimberly Quinn. And I read an interview with him not long afterwards. Uh, he'd been forced to resign, of course, as Home Secretary. He pursued paternity in the courts of the child that she had. Kimberly Quinn married, uh, he not. In the interview asked him how he could justify an affair with a married woman. His response, I always said I would never be enamoured by glitter. Although individuals sometimes shine like gold, when you rub them, you find that they're not. I don't know, he says. I always thought I was too wise to just be enamoured by the, the allure. But I was taken in by her exotic delight. He was asked what was the experience like when the press got hold of him and the affair was exposed. Quote, At one point I really did think I was going mad. My whole world was collapsing around me. I was under the most horrendous pressure. I was barely sleeping, and yet I was being asked to sign government warrants in the middle of the night. The doctor at the House of Commons recommended antidepressants, then going to see a therapist. How was it? Was it good? Do you really enjoy it, David? I was miserable. I was on the highway to the grave. There was a man who was ruined. Physically, his health went Financially, he lost all his money pursuing paternity in the courts. Politically, he had to resign. It cost him everything. 
Look, the application is fairly obvious, I think. Don't do it. Don't do it. If you're married, don't throw your life away, says the father. You will ruin your life and those of others if you do this. You don't recover from this sort of mistake very quickly, he says. Again, if you're single, I think the, 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 the wonderful phrase of chapter 7, verse 7 is very clear. Don't be a simpleton lacking judgment. If you think it doesn't matter, you can just be sexually active. Just don't be a simpleton lacking judgment. Don't believe these lies. Don't believe the lie of the adulteress that sex will fulfill you, complete you. It won't. Casual sex can leave you incredibly empty. Don't believe the lie that there are no consequences. It will affect your future marriage. Don't believe the lies. There is a huge cost to infidelity. And so he says, thirdly, do consider the benefits of faithfulness, by contrast. The benefits of faithfulness, which is chapter 5, 15 uh, to 20. Poetic pictures, but I think they're clear. Uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own system, running water from your own well. Look, if you're a husband, he's saying, drink from your wife's system. Quench your sexual thirst with your spouse. Verse 16. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Don't let your... I mean, I hope you get what he's saying. I don't want to spell it out. Don't let your manhood overflow elsewhere, he's saying. Uh, Verse 17. They're, They're for you. It's for you. It is for the marital bedroom alone not to be shared with strangers. Be faithful, be satisfied with one another. And then well, there's, a, there's a promise, I think, verse 18. May your fountain be blessed. That is, may your manhood be blessed. May you enjoy, therefore, contented sexual relations within your marriage. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's what will happen if you commit to one another. If you enjoy faithfully one another sexually, you'll be satisfied sexually, he's saying. I mean, verse 19, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated, intoxicated by her love. I mean, these are pictures of a, a doe, sort of sleek, irresistible hair. But what a stroke, a, a doe, a deer. But, you know, that's what it says, it's sort of sleek and attractive and very pleasant to touch. Now, of course, objectively, you've got to say it is. it is... Objectively, it's not true of every spouse here that we're all so stunningly graceful. I hate to break that to this room, but we're not all stunningly graceful that as soon as anyone walks you in the street, they want to say, oh, I just want to stroke you, that you're just so nice. That's, that's not objectively true. But he is saying subjectively that ought to be true and can be true that within a marriage, if there is commitment to one another and therefore sharing and intimacy and honesty and uh, an emotional nakedness with one another, then you have therefore there in that sort of marriage a platform where sex is merely an expression of what's going on in the rest of your relationship. It is a delight and a satisfaction. You look upon your spouse and think, I want you. I want you. 
The contrast of this is, if you do let your manhood overflow elsewhere, you won't be satisfied with your wife. I mean, I guess it's obviously, if you start viewing pornography and you you associate sexual excitement with that, you'll be dissatisfied with your wife. Obvious point. He's saying, if you don't, if sexually you're just committed to your spouse, you'll be satisfied. It's a virtuous circle. Look elsewhere, dissatisfaction, commit emotionally and faithfully to your marriage. There's satisfaction. Do you see? That's what he's saying. There's great satisfaction in a marriage where there's commitment and you've experienced life together. Could we make the silly mistake of going elsewhere would be more fun? But of course, what do you think really, if you're honest... Daydream too much. But if you, what do you think sex with the beautiful people would look like with a Brad Pitt or a Penelope Cruz or whoever you daydream, you know, whoever you know that you think is pretty in a picture? It'd be terrible. You do realize that, don't you? It'd be terrible. Because you'd be thinking, what do they think of me? What do they think of me? I mean, golly, they've slept with all the beautiful people in the world. What do they think of me? How long are they going to stay with me? I mean, it'd be awful. You'd be, you'd be racked with insecurity. Whereas he's saying, where there's commitment to one another and emotional openness, you have fabulous sexual satisfaction. So practically, again, it's not too obvious, if you're married, here's a biblical encouragement to have more sex, to turn off the TV, to go to bed earlier. It's very easy not to. Uh, my wife and I, we were uh, we were having dinner with some friends. This is a while ago now, but it sticks in my memory. We were talking, uh, she'd had too much, non-Christian couple, uh, early 40s, uh, three children, busy lives. But uh, she, the wife had had a bit too much to drink, if, if I'm honest. Anyway, she started to go on holiday. She said, brilliant, can't wait to go on holiday. It's the only time of the year we have sex. Husband not amused. You know, you imagine husband very unamused. He said, oh, stop it, stop it. Let's just be honest. I bought a year's supply of condoms this week, a three-pack. And her husband very unamused, very unamused indeed that she was betraying this. But <laughs> it can get that way. It's very easy to be lazy. And here's encouragement. One of the best defenses against adultery is a happy marriage where emotionally and sexually you're committed to one another. It's one of the best defenses there is. Of course, the key thing is in, in sex, like every other aspect of marriage, that we're concerned with, well, with serving the other. And of course, you can't be naive. There we need to factor in there are seasons in every marriage where sex is difficult, physical difficulties, emotional blocks, and there are times when Spouses need to be incredibly sensitive with that, of course. But yet the encouragement would here would be find satisfaction with one another. Be creative, perhaps. But remember the benefits of faithfulness. So one of the best defenses you'll say against adultery is to have a happy marriage. But, but that is penultimate Let me pick it up, verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Be satisfied with your spouse, not with another. Verse 21. For or because you want to honor the Lord. 
don't commit adultery. Be satisfied in your marriage because you want to honor the Lord, don't you? I mean, ultimately, that's what will keep you in your marriage, keep you faithful, sexually, married or single. So briefly, last thing, verses 21 to 23 of chapter 5, remember the Lord. Verse 21, a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He'll die for lack of discipline. They're destroyed by his own great folly. The Lord is not mocked. He knows. Remember him. Three sort of concluding little words. Uh, First, a, a word to the dying. That is a word to those who are on the pathway to the grave, who are walking on with the adulteress on the pathway to death. If you know, if you're sat here and you think, actually, I'm doing this, will you please hear the word of the Lord this morning? Will you please confess your sin to your spouse, to another outside of your marriage, and to the Lord, and stop it? Because you're on a highway to death and you're believing lies, and you'll destroy your life. Stop it. Don't be a fool, says the Father. A word to, there's a word to the dying, a word to the defeated. If you know you've fallen in this area, but never picked yourself up again properly, again, move on. Confess your sins to the Lord and to another human. Repent of them. Make changes, but then do trust that Jesus has paid for that sin. Don't be defeated by it. Don't let your guilt drift into self-pity. Confess your sin and trust the gospel. Otherwise, you let the adulteress win twice. Not only does she lead you into a sin mistake that will ruin your life, but she destroys years of useful service. How miserable if not only do you fall in this area, but you never pick yourself up at the good works that the Lord has you to work in, sorry, to walk in. You never do. So you make two mistakes. Don't do that. If you've been defeated in this area, repent and believe the gospel and serve the Lord joyfully again. Move on. To the dying, to the defeated. Last thing, a word to the disappointed. Look, let's not be naive. Some will read these sort of passages and find them very painful because they'd like to be married but are not. They are married and it's disappointing. The marriage is sexually, well, not what they expected. Of course, many will read these and be disappointed in some way. And again, the encouragement would be, remember the Lord. I mean, there's practically things you can do and help you can get, I'm sure. But ultimately, remember the Lord. Of course, when you pick up the whole Bible and read these chapters in the middle of the whole Bible, it's very striking that one of the reasons we're made sexual beings is to make God more knowable to us. The language and imagery of uh, sexuality are probably the most graphic and daring that the Bible uses to describe the relationship of the Lord and his people, both negatively and positively. 
So negatively, you think of something like at Ezekiel 16, where God refers to his people as unfaithful whores. These miserable, shocking pictures, if you read a chapter such as that, of God's people leaving his security and love and glory and whoring themselves in the public squares. And you're meant to read that and go, that's horrible. And God gives us this imagery so we understand how awful it is to betray him. But then, of course, positively, marriage in this life is given as a picture, a parable of love between Christ and his people. It is extraordinary. It's daring of the Lord to do it. I thought perhaps you could put it that way. That God has given us the pleasure of sexual ecstasy as a pointer towards how wonderful it will be to see him face to face. It's an extraordinary truth. One of the, you know, one of the ecstasies of life, brief as it is, on this planet. It's just an echo. It's just a pointer to how good it will be. And so if nothing else, amidst the all the detail that's here in these chapters, and we need to hearken to the, the warnings of the Father. But also remember that the, the strength and passion that sexual love could draw out of us, it is an echo of how passionately the Lord loves his people. So there are disappointments here and now. Yeah, they will be. Most marriages have periods of disappointment in this arena. And for most who are single, there are periods of disappointment and frustration. But do remember the Lord's passionate love for us. Demonstrated supremely in the cross, but I guess experienced in full in the future. And the best this world has to offer is just an echo. Just an echo of what we'll know then. Let's pray together. Father, again, we recognize only you know the the range of uh, emotions in this room and situations and settings. And so we, certainly I would pray that you take these warnings and promises of these chapters and proverbs and you apply them deeply to our hearts, that if we're on the road to death, we would turn right around If we've been defeated in this area, we would look up, repent of our sins and delight that we can move forward because of the gospel, because Christ has died for us. And for if we're disappointed in this arena, would we do what we can here and now? But would we trust that following you faithfully is always the right thing to do? And the benefits of that in eternity are wonderful because your love for us is passionate. Drive these things into us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.